Hey there, NASCAR fans. Have you got your copy of the latest edition of NASCAR Pole Position Print Magazine? If not, there's no better time than now to subscribe at PolePositionMag.com. NASCAR Pole Position is the only print magazine covering NASCAR. Officially licensed by NASCAR, NASCAR Pole Position Magazine is published throughout the NASCAR season, and each edition is an instant collector's item, backed with great feature stories and photography. The magazine is even mailed to you in a poly bag for those who love to collect NASCAR memorabilia. At PolePositionMag.com, you can even find past issues available to purchase. Get your subscription to NASCAR Pole Position and get great NASCAR content delivered straight to your mailbox throughout the season. Learn more at PolePositionMag.com. That's PolePositionMag.com. Hey y'all, Rick Houston here, and I want to tell you about my new show, the Moonshine and Motorsports Racing Podcast. I've partnered up with the state of North Carolina Department of Natural and Cultural Resources to help uncover the history behind moonshining mountain boys, professional wheelmen, and the backwoods and city lights of the Tar Heel State. In the first episode, I sat down with Winston Kelly at the NASCAR Hall of Fame for a little behind-the-scenes gossip about Junior Johnson's engineering skills. He's got two things in his hand, pipe wrench and channel lock pliers, and they weren't new. They yeah. had been, they had been yeah. around the block a time or two. What's the first deal they built, I bet? No, no, you know, you could, I think they were, they had, the, the pliers had been red before, but paint had worn off. And in the second episode, I talked to a professional hillbilly, a.k.a. Dr. Daniel Pierce of UNC Asheville, to find out the real history of moonshiners and their battles with the revenuers. He wrote about one of his experience of trying to chase down this uh, this bootlegger and this this souped-up car, and he, he complained that the government gave him these piece-of-crap, cheapo cars and that, that were really no match, but he thought he was doing pretty good, and then the guy just hits it and just takes off and practically disappears. But then the guy makes a bootleg turn uh, and comes back towards him. And as he said, it was a game of chicken, and I was the chicken. And so he ran off the road. And actually, he was the guy who, who caught Junior Johnson at his daddy's steal when Junior got tangled up in a, in a barbed wire fence. So check out the Moonshine and Motorsports Racing Podcast, available on YouTube, DailyDownForce.com, and all of your favorite podcasting platforms. And be sure to check out my regular show on NASCAR history, the Scene Vault Podcast. Hello, this is Rick Houston, and welcome to the Scene Vault Podcast, your source for all things NASCAR history. Hello, my name is Rick Houston, and welcome to another episode of the Scene Vault Podcast, where Richard Petty will always be the king, David Pearson will always be the silver fox, and Harry Gant will always be the bandit. Absolutely, and Rick Houston will always be Sasquatch. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't see that one coming. Oh, man, I should have known that. Steve, we are here at TGI Fridays in Concord, North Carolina, at a very special event. This is the third year for a reunion of former scene staffers. And, man, I can't tell you how much fun that this is. 
I tell you what, it's really, really great. You know, there's something of a cross between uh, a fraternity reunion and happy hour at this living. <laughs> but it, it's really good to be uh, back with so many of the people that work for Sing for so many years. And, you know, some of us have aged fairly gracefully, fairly gracefully. And then some of us have aged like me, <laughs> ungracefully. Hey, you, you said that. I did not. <laughs> now, on this episode, we're not going to be talking to a driver. This episode, we're going to be sharing stories. What it was like to work for a Wednesday Cup scene from the photographer's side, and also Deb Williams is here. So we're All going right. to be talking to her. Going to get some good stories there, I'll tell you that. Some of which may even be true. <laughs> well, the one thing I do want to point out, as much fun and camaraderie as we all had over the years, and you know, Rick, you were there, you know about that, everyone worked hard. And the reason they worked hard is because of racing and newspapering, let's call it that, was a passion for them. And that is why they gave so much to the paper, and in return, they gave so much to the readers. All right, folks, you might want to sit back. (laughs) (laughs) Joining me now is Deb Williams. And Deb was the editor at Winston Cup Scene when I was hired. Uh, She is actually the one who called to tell me that I was hired. Now, do you remember that? actually hired you. Yeah, well, (laughs) hey, you can't fire me now. (laughs) But do you remember when you called me? Yes, I do. Clear as a bell. (laughs) It's priceless. I called Rick to tell him that uh, we wanted to offer him the job at Winston Cup Scene, and I got total silence on the other end of the phone. And I said, Rick, are you there? And I hear, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. And I said, are you okay? Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. I just had to pick myself up off the floor. (laughs) Now, before that, when I first contacted you and Steve, mm-hmm. I believe at one time I offered to come to North Carolina and mow your yard because you'd made some kind of comment about your <laughs> yard uh, not being mowed. Yeah. I also, at one point, threatened to chain myself to your desk. I didn't True. have to do that either. Yep. So you wound up hiring me, mm-hmm. and I want to tell you. And I've never regretted it. Yeah. I want to tell you, that was my dream gig, and without you guys, I would have never went on to do the things I've done in my career. I can't even begin to tell you what that moment meant to me. And we were so happy to have you and your attitude and your love of the sport and the paper. And I'm just so proud of you for going on and accomplishing what you have accomplished. It's been wonderful. (laughs) Now, I got to tell you, I think it was Steve. I think you called and told me that I was hired, but then Steve came on the line and told me what I would be making per year. I, I don't remember that. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I'm going to be getting paid? <laughs> <laughs> I honestly believe that Steve Wade could have said, we're going to pay you $10 a week and a bucket of spit, and I would have taken it. Yeah, probably. <laughs> now, Deb, I also want to tell you, though, that you were also my enabler. The first race that I covered was seen was the November Atlanta race in 1994, you and I went to dinner at the hotel. At the Embassy Suites. The very first night. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at the menu, <laughs> and you asked me, said, what are you going to get? I looked at the menu, and I said, well, it looks like the 
hamburger is the cheapest thing on the menu. So I think that's probably what I'm going to get. And, Deb, you looked at me and you told me in no uncertain terms, <laughs> you said something to the effect of, you know, our bosses understand that we work really hard. And if we want to eat when we get away from the racetrack, you can order whatever you want. We have oh. an expense account and a credit card. Oh, Deb. <laughs> I took you at your word. I know. <laughs> I meant you to. And I got to tell you, I've been paying for that for the past 10, 15 years now. <laughs> I don't know. You've been able to drop weight a lot faster than I have. What do you remember about covering the sport at that time when we were working together? How much fun was it? You know, it was fun. It was a lot of work. You were so tired, but you were so energized every weekend because of the, the fans and the passion that everybody on the staff had. And, you know, it was just so flattering to go somewhere to a restaurant and people recognized you as being with NASCAR Winston Cup scene. And I always got a kick in coming out of restaurants in Daytona or even a rest uh, area, and people would be standing beside the company car that was logoed with the scene logo on it, taking photos, uh, pictures beside the car. It was just a, a wonderful time in the sport where everybody had each other's backs. We took care of each other. We enjoyed each other's company. And even though we worked ourselves into exhaustion, it was fun. Yeah, it was. Deb, I want to ask, you were the first person to win the Catlin Award twice in a row. Right, two consecutive years. Mm-hmm. What do you remember about those stories? That the, sto- the stories that I wrote to win the Russ Catlin Uh, Just how different they were from the normal reporting that was going on at that particular time. The first one that I got the Russ Catlin for was a carbon monoxide filtration system. And the cover of scene was Richard Petty with a fighter pilot's mask on. And, you know, at, at that time, nobody had really talked about the carbon monoxide poisoning that the drivers were dealing with. And so that was kind of groundbreaking. And then the next story that I won the Russ Catlin with was the story about how the drivers were starting to hire nutritionists and trainers. And that was on the, the very groundbreaking time of people first getting into that. That was about the time that Andy Papathanasiou had come from California and started introducing uh, training for for pit crew members. And, of course, Andy's the oversees all of the training for the pit crew members at Hendrick, and they also train, I think, for JTG Doherty, too. But um, those were two stories were just really out-of-the-box stories at that particular time. Deb... We could sit here and talk for I don't know how long, but Winston Cup scene mm-hmm. covered that sport for a long time, from 77 through 2009. What do you think scene's legacy will be? I think scene's legacy is the fact that it brought the competitors and the crew members, the officials, it brought them into the homes of the fans, and it took the fans into the garage area. The philosophy was give the fans what they can't see or find out anywhere else. And, you know, I think it was as instrumental in helping the sport grow 
it, it was just at a phenomenal time. And I think that it gave the human interest side of the sport to the fans. And that's what we're missing today. They don't get that human interest side. And I think if the human interest side would come back to the fans, I think that you would see the, the attendance increasing. Anything else you want to mention? Anything in particular? I'm just so thankful everybody's still friends <laughs> and that we haven't well, changed. Well, for the most part. We haven't <laughs> cha- Well, yeah, there are a few. Yeah. Um, I, but it's interesting how when I'm at the track, I still have race fans stop me and tell me how much they miss scene. And then they follow it up and they say, I miss the old scene. Yeah. Which tells me they miss the scene that gave, made them feel like they were a part of the competitors' lives. And that's why I think there's still a place for it. And, um, but it's nice to know that people still remember it and people still remember us. For children with chronic medical conditions, Victory Junction means friends, fun, freedom. That's because we provide a medically safe environment where kids who live in a world of hospitals and doctor's visits can laugh, play, and discover all they can be, all at no cost to their families. Victory Junction inspires confidence, builds self-esteem, and changes the life of every camper who comes through our gates. Find out how you can change a child's life. Go to victoryjunction.org. Brian Hallman is here with us now, and he was one of our longtime scene freelance photographers. Brian, when did you first shoot for scene? My first year was 1990, and my first race was the Bush race at Bristol when Michael Waltrip had his little crash. <laughs> and so that was your first that race was for my scene. First race for scene because it was a Saturday. It was my first weekend, and that was the first race of the weekend. Wow. But I was in turn three and four. <laughs> <laughs> so you missed the shot. I missed the shot. And Ray Shuff got all the glory. Yep, he did. He did. He nailed it. Now, how long had you been involved in photography before that? I was always interested in taking pictures of races, but I never had a decent camera till 1984. And that's when I got my first, you know, SLR camera where I could put a zoom lens on it. And I was doing 14 or 15 races a year as a fan. And so I would shoot from the stands. And then after the races, they would usually open the gate where you could go down on pit road. And I would wait for that and go down and shoot some drivers. Drivers used to hang out and do autographs, shoot some cars and things like that. So that's that's where um, I started doing that. Now, how did you get hooked up with Sane? There was a local publication it was one of those free sports pages you pick up at the convenience stores. And I went to talk to them about getting credentials for some cup races. And since I've been to Charlotte area, they were able to get me into Martinsville, Wilkesboro, uh, Darlington. And so my first race on credentials was in Darlington Spring of 1988. That's the first time I had access as a credential photographer. Into the garage, pit road, garage, and all that kind of thing. Stuff, okay, yeah. yeah. And so that's that's where I got started. And I sent some stuff to um, the editor at scene at the time, David Chobat. You know, here, here's some of my pictures I'd like to work for y'all. And never heard back from him. 
And so <laughs> I know I, that story. <laughs> and so when I finally got, I finally found him on pit road after a race one time when I was, you know, doing my own thing. And I asked him, I said, uh, I said, Mr. Chobat, I said, Mr. Chobat, <laughs> I said, uh, I sent you some pictures, um, you know, a couple months ago. You know, maybe hopefully I could do some work for scene. He said, I don't remember it. So it must not have been that good. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was Mr. Showback. That's the David Showback that we all knew and loved. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's that's almost got to work there sooner. <laughs> yeah, but they had a um, a change in photo editors at the end of '89, the beginning of '90. Um, I can't remember who left it. I might have been Don Grassman left, and Cindy Karam came in, which Cindy Elliott now. And so I sent her a nice little form letter and said, you know, I've shot some stuff on credentials for the last two years or so, and um, I'd love to shoot for y'all. I'd be willing to work this year for free if you give me a chance because I was already paying to go on my own dime to 14 or 15 races. And she set me up with, um, I think she set me up with 12 races. And before the year was over, she filled out my schedule with everything I wanted. So she actually added races for me as the year went on. Now, as you got your feet wet in the way that Scene did business and got in to the different races, your specialty always seemed to be in the turns, in maybe the backstretch, and watching that kind of action. What would you consider to be your specialty as a photographer? I feel like my my strength is on track. Yeah. Um, there's a ton of people that are more talented than me that can find something that I'll never see, um, you know. But I've always I've always liked the cars more than I have anything else. And so I would go to a corner, and you kind of know certain places are going to be where things are going to happen. You know, Charlotte was always turn four, the the Humpty Bumpies in the corner and all that stuff. And I'd noticed at Talladega that at that point in time, a lot of guys were crashing coming off of two. And so... Um, the first year I went to Talladega for scene, we were at Martinsville. We always have a meeting before the race where we talk about what we're going to do today and everything. And Martinsville at that time was the week before Talladega. And I told Cindy, I said, hey, when we go to Talladega next week, I want to shoot off turn two. She said, are you serious? I said, yeah. She said, okay. She said, you can't back out. I said, no, that's fine. I'm all in. Yeah. And um, I think that first year um, – two laps to go or something in the race jimmy spencer got turned over back there so you know i i kept going back <laughs> now was there a pecking order for where photographers got to shoot from? absolutely and, and i understood it um what was considered the prime spot the prime choice pit road maybe for pit stops if you want to do it, i never wanted to do pit stops so okay. that was never an interest for me um you know obviously i wanted to shoot turn four at charlotte but there were already other people that had been there longer. You know, you had John Talent, Jeff Robinson, uh, Jerry Hayslip, Elmer Capel, uh, LaDon George, all those guys. And so they would get first shot. And so for a long time at Charlotte, I shot coming off turn two. Yeah. Which wasn't bad. The lighting kind of sucked a little bit, but, you know. You can't say sucked on this bike. <laughs> Don't get me started on that. Uh, but. It, it, but then, um, I don't remember what year it was, uh, 92 or 93, Scene and Illustrated kind of split the photographers. And Illustrated took Flew Hardy, 
They took Jeff Robinson. They took LaDon George. They took Elmer Capel. And they were dedicated to Illustrated because Illustrated was doing more feature stories. Yeah. So they needed different images than what we would do during a race. And at that point, I kind of moved up in the pecking order on the scene side. Okay. Where yeah. I could say, you know, I, you know, where do you want to shoot? I'd, I'd like to shoot turn four. Okay. At Charlotte. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. And so, you know, after that, I pretty much got to shoot wherever I wanted to. Now, we're doing a thing on the Scene Vault Twitter feed, the all-time greatest covers in Winston Cup scene history. I'm going to say this, not in any way, shape, form, or fashion to have an impact on the vote, but you got a shot of Ken Schrader at Talladega where he's almost completely parallel to the track, upside down. And to me, that is one of my all-time favorite covers because it is so clear an image. You can read the lettering on the tires. What is your favorite shot that you got? Maybe not cover, but what is your favorite image? God, I don't know. There's... There's so many things that you shoot. I've had some other crashes before where the, you know, Schrader looks like he's floating in the air. Yeah. But I've had some other stuff where you have parts and pieces flying. Yeah. And it, it's more spectacular looking. Right. But um, unfortunately, that was in 95, I yeah. believe. Yeah. That's probably the high water mark of my career. Um, but it, it, <laughs> I sweated that one. Yeah. I sweated that shot. How so? It was film. Oh, so you didn't know immediately no, what you had? No. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. And yeah. I approached Talladega. The Speedway's different from the short track because they wanted us to be conservative on film because of the deadline. Yeah. You know, the race was on Sunday. The paper went to print, I think, noon Monday. Something like uh, that. No, it would have been it would have been later than that. It would have been, you know, Monday night. Okay, but I guess. still you're yeah. looking at a yeah. at, what, eighteen hour turnaround? Yeah. So you had to get the film back to the lab. They had to process it, edit it. And so they really wanted to be conservative on film. Well, at a short track like Martinsville, if you get a spin, you're going to shoot six or seven frames, and it's done. But at Talladega, especially where I was coming off of turn two, you could have a wreck carry a long way. Yeah. And so I always tried to make sure that I had a lot of frames left in the camera Oh, you didn't want to be on frame 31 <laughs> yeah, of yeah. 36 exposure frame. Yeah. The car, well, LaDon George can tell you that story. He uh, was shooting Petty's wreck at Daytona in 88 and ran out of film halfway through the flip. No. Yeah. Wow. You had to think about things like that. But I didn't know if it was in focus. You know, it happens. You can't go back and like you can now look at the back of the camera. And so we had radios. They said, did you get that? I said, yeah, I got it. I think. (laughs) (laughs) And so I was a nervous wreck the whole rest of the time because I I felt like I was good on it. Yeah. And um, I didn't know till, I don't know if anybody even called me or not at the lab. It might have just been Wednesday when the paper came out that I saw it. So you're a freelance photographer for Winston Cup scene. What was life like on the road for a freelance photographer? <laughs> How many people can you jam into a hotel room? <laughs> That's funny because a lot of people thought that, that we were just making money hand over fist and all that kind of stuff. But in reality, um, everybody that was shooting when I started in the early 90s, we did it because we loved the sport. Because at that point, there was no money in it. Yeah. When I started, you got $10 a frame that was published. 
if you were in a bad corner and nothing happened, you got no money for the weekend. So you were out everything. You were out yeah. your travel. You were out yeah. everything. And as the sport got big, as you know, the mid nineties up, then they started giving us um, X amount of dollars a race, like seventy five dollars a weekend. And then I think it got to one twenty five at one point. But we did it because we loved the sport. Yeah, everybody at that time did it because they loved the sport. When the money came in, then you had some guys that come along that were doing it for the money. And to me, that was the big change. The paper didn't even supply us a room when I started. And so one of the guys would always have a room. And like back to what you said, we would cram a lot of people in it. <laughs> so um, now that, was, that was fun. But we all had a common interest. Yeah. And we were all really supportive of each other. That's the one thing that always struck me was that we were very supportive. There was no backstabbing. There was no, and nobody was jealous of anybody else. Everybody wanted everybody else to do well. And so um, that that was that helped a lot. I've got a lot of friends. Some of my best friends now are through the sport from the 90s up. All right, Brian Hallman. I did kind of a preemptive strike on last week's episode, and I told the Oreo story on myself okay okay i told the true version okay all right what is your version of the oreo story here's how i remember it you gotta remember there's so many stories what i remember and i want to say it was at bristol but i'm not sure where it happened i thought it was dover it wasn't dover because i've never been to dover hey don't let the facts get in the way of a good story (laughs) but anyway it's we used to have people Basically, with spot fours, yeah, you or Steve or somebody up upstairs or Deb or Deb, yeah, yeah, and um, would let us know, you know, when something was going on, just to give us a little heads up. And my recollection was you completely missed something that happened on the track, and I think somebody might have um, made a comment to you about sleeping, and you said you were eating Oreos. Is that pretty close? Why did I? <laughs> Why did I tell that on myself? Because you were young and naive. Yeah. <laughs> Well, now I'm old and naive. <laughs> oh, yeah, there you go. oh, there's all kind of little stories like that. Um, the radios, we got in trouble with the radios sometimes. No way. Well, you got to. Surely not. Yeah, you stand in a corner and you get bored and, you know, you just you want to make a comment to somebody on the other side of the racetrack. So, yeah, you just key the mic and say something. And, and I have had my radio taken from me. <laughs> but, uh,. Yeah, there's a lot of little stories. I don't know if I should tell any of them or not. I'll go ahead. Okay. Uh, go ahead. I keep referring back to Talladega, but I did go to other tracks. Um, we're doing a, 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 a rock race at Talladega, and there had been a big wreck. And, you know, Talladega, it takes forever to cut a caution lap. Yeah. And so they were cleaning up after the wreck, and Talladega was always May and July. Neither one of them were real conductive to being outside you know, Alabama. And so usually I'd catch a knee, have a seat somewhere or something. So I'm sitting there and I've got my radio on and I'm kind of just, just chilling. And all of a sudden Deb comes on the radio. That, oh my gosh, there's a wreck. There's, there's a wreck. They're, they're wrecking on the backstretch. There, there, there's cars everywhere. And I happen to be on the backstretch and look and there's nothing back there. Not even a safety car is back there. <laughs> she looked up and saw the jumbo replay. <laughs> so, sorry, Deb. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
I think I did that a time or two. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You just mentioned something that I wanted to ask about. How did you guys survive standing on your feet all day long in the blazing heat of Talladega and also in the cold at Richmond in the spring? I was fortunate. Quote, unquote, spring. The the worst one for cold that I can remember everybody talking about was the 90 race at Richmond. That that one is legendary for the cold, and I missed it. Thank God. But uh, Talladega was nasty in July. July in Alabama – the end of July in Alabama was just ungodly. And there's no shade. There's just nothing. And so you, you kind of try to prepare for it. I always just was like, I'll deal with it and move on. I wouldn't tr- get beat down before I even showed up. Yeah. Um, Darlington in September oh. when it was a day race. Yeah. That was particularly brutal yeah. because yeah. of the humidity. Yeah. And then Rockingham was usually always really cold. And yeah. I hate the cold. And I would have so many layers on that I could just barely move my arms. But that that's how I did it. Well, Brian, let me ask you this in conclusion. We have been trying for a long time at the scene vault to preserve this 32-year archive. Yeah. What do you feel that Winston Cup scene's legacy is in the sport? It's almost a diary of the sport. That's a good way to put it. If yeah. you go back and look, good. because I have I have most of the issues. I, I was a subscriber in 1981, and so I actually read the paper for nine years before I went to work for it. And that's how I knew the names of everybody. One of the big thrills for me was getting to become friends with the people whose pictures I had looked at all those years. Yeah. And even people that didn't work for scene. Uh, T. Taylor Warren, yeah. as a kid, yeah, I'd see T. Taylor stuff in old race programs and stuff, and I became friends with T. Taylor, and I treasure that, things like that, all those the people that came before me. Now, to put it into perspective, T. Taylor Warren had shot NASCAR since the 40s. He took racing yeah. pictures before NASCAR was born. Yeah, so to be able to have that kind of connection. Oh, God. Yeah. It was, it, and, you know, the I'll tell a T. Taylor story if you got time. Sure. At Martinsville, we used to be able to shoot outside of turns one and two behind the azaleas. And that was before they had any of the fence or anything. So it really wasn't, in hindsight, the safest place to be because centrifugal force, anything that comes off a car, going that way. And I always knew where I wanted to shoot, so I would go out early. And so I think the first race I shot for scene, got out, I was outside of turn one, got there early, and um, I wanted to be close to the bushes. I wanted to be able to shoot over the azaleas. And I stand there, and this, this old guy came walking up. He's wearing a yellow hat and a yellow jacket. <laughs> and he said, um, you, you might not want to stand that close there. You know, that's, that's not the best place to be. I'm okay. Don't worry about it. You know, it's kind of whack. <laughs> and um, it turned out it was T. Taylor Warren. I don't know if he ever remembered that conversation. But as time went on, I got to you know, know T, and, and T was just he was a great guy. He just really was. And um, But back to the scene question, it is a diary. If, if I go back and look at the old issues, and anything that went on in the sport was in the paper. So it, it's literally, even the most, the smallest thing is in there. Some deal that got made that fell apart. Some rumor yeah. that might not have happened. Yeah. They weren't as bad about rumors as some of the internet yeah. stuff. Yeah. But usually anything that was in scene was based on some fact that 
you know, a company had talked to a driver or just whatever. But there are so many little things. And it's funny to look at some of the great deals that were coming that would run two races and shut down. Yeah. So it, it's, it's just a diary of that, that whole era. If there's anything about the sport that you need to know if, if you're doing a historical piece, it's there. Grab that issue of scene the week before, the week after, and everything you need is right there. And that was because of the writers, the talent of the writers. They had the access. And that was the other thing. You know, with scene, you had access that a local guy, you had that scene shirt on. A local guy. <laughs> well, really, if you had a local yeah. photographer that's out there in his, his T-shirt and his blue jeans yeah. and, and carrying his camera, and you're there in your scene shirt, the NASCAR official would usually stop them a lot of times from going somewhere, especially in the garage area where they wouldn't wouldn't bat an eye to us because they felt like we were supposed to be there. That gave us credibility. Absolutely. That logo gave us credibility. And, and working for Scene was it, it's basically the highlight of my career. I mean, no matter what I have done and what I will do, those 18 years I shot for Scene, um, you know, that was Scene was the publication for NASCAR. NASCAR is the sport I followed and still do. And so it's just it was just an honor. It just really was. Hello, I'm Buddy Parrott, and you're listening to the Scene Vault Podcast. Next up is Jim Fluharty, one of our full-time photographers at Scene, also at Illustrated. What year did you join the staff full-time? I started at the Richmond race in 1990. Uh, February is extremely cold. It <laughs> put me up on the roof. The wind was blowing. And oh, was my goodness. Did you lose a bet? No, I was just uh, the new guy. So I guess that's what the new guy, how he gets treated. So, um, so yeah, that was, um, that was my first race. And then my second race was... Daytona in July, and it was 110 degrees. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> I'm like, do I really want to do this? But, yeah, I absolutely loved it from the beginning. Now, at what point did you go full-time? So the following year, um, I started January 2nd full-time um, as a lab technician. Um, so it was just my job to process film. Um, but at the same time, they liked what I was shooting. And then um, so eventually I moved up to assistant photo editor, and then in the end of 1992, Cindy Karam left to become Cindy Elliott, Bill Elliott's wife, and I took her spot when she left. As the photo editor photo at editor. Scene? At that time, for a short period of time, yeah, I was the photo editor for Scene and Illustrated. Um, and then Scene was sold at um, the beginning of 1993. We hired Phil Cavelli to take over scene while I stayed back and, and remained the photo editor. For so you were responsible for hiring Phil Cavelli. Is that I what you're telling say, Yeah. Um, what were you thinking, man? Well, uh, <laughs> Steve Wade was the final call, <laughs> so we're going to put that on him. But, um, <laughs> but no, Phil did a great job. Um, uh, he's He was the person for the job. He, he has a great knack of being at the right place at the right time. Um, you know, it's just, uh, it worked out perfect, really. Now, tell me the difference in shooting for Illustrated and shooting for Scene. Mm -hmm. Because Illustrated came out once a month, was more of a feature-oriented magazine, mm -hmm. and Winston Cup Scene was weekly, and at that time geared more towards 
hard news, breaking news, that kind of thing. What was the difference as a photographer for shooting for one it's, or the it's, other? Uh, it's two totally different mindsets. Is uh, it really? Yeah. For Illustrated, you're more about uh, the quality of the photo and making something that really you can take your time with it, you know, make sure the photo creates an emotion of some type. Um, so artsy fartsy, is that an actual, yeah, is that an actual yeah, term? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean. <laughs> so it's more artsy fartsy. Yeah, yeah. it's it's more, I, I prefer creative, but we can go, <laughs> we can go Oh, great, I got another photographer mad at me. <laughs> it's like old times. But the scene side is more um, deadline driven, more news um, you know, more being on top of and, and anticipating what's going to happen next. Um, you know, like I say, Illustrated is more about behind the scenes, uh, what these drivers do away from the track. Um, so it's just, uh, you know, I mean, I love them both, but they are two totally different things. Now, one of the things that has always fascinated me back in the old film days when you guys shot on film mm -hmm. was the process of actually getting that film from the racetrack back to the office. Right. Tell me about some of those escapades. I can remember when, uh, I guess it was a spring Bristol race. They'd run on Sunday afternoon. So we would get to the track at maybe 5 or 6 o'clock in the morning because we wanted to set up some remote cameras. We'd cover the race all day long. We'd drive back to Charlotte to process the film, or it was in Concord, North Carolina at that time. Stay up all night processing film, making prints. We'd be there all day long to uh, lay out the paper, and then I would drive the paper to Greensboro Monday evening. Would you really? Take the flats up there, and then I would go to bed um, until 4 in the morning. Wow. I'd get up at 4 in the morning and go to the press and start proofing the paper as I started rolling the presses. Um, and then hopefully I'd be out of there by noon, and then I could sleep the rest of the day <laughs> and then back to work on Wednesday and start all over again. So back in those days, back in the 90s, um, there was not many time off. You know, you were working 16 hours a day, but we loved it. You know, it wasn't yeah. a job. It was our passion. It was our life, you know. Wouldn't change a thing on that. How much of a game changer was digital? Shooting digital, you know, was kind of scary at first because we were kind of wondering, well, I mean, you can almost change anything in a photo digitally, but it turned out in the long run, you, it's, you still need to have a good image to start with. So that kind of misbelief in the beginning kind of went away. You know, we went to, uh, we went to digital first with scene um, because we needed the quality to be a little bit better for Illustrated. So we got to experiment with it on that side, on the scene side for a year, and then we, uh, we transferred to digital a year later. And from... Um, from a time standpoint, obviously, as soon as you take that picture, you can upload it to your computer, and on your computer, you can basically make any change that you could make in a dark room, but the time is instantaneous, you know, so that's that's when it all really came down to it. Just when you're on deadline pressure, it just helped tremendously to the turnaround time that you would have from shooting something. Now, when you went to Illustrated, you were full-time there, the photo editor there, and I do want to ask about Tim Wilcox. Your partner in crime. Tim was a co-worker of yours, one of the photographers. And here, I don't know how long ago it was now, he lost his battle with Lou Gehrig's disease. So tell me about Tim Wilcox. The first day I met Tim Wilcox, um, me and Cindy were in Daytona Beach uh, for Speed Weeks. And we were going to have to process the film 
down there. We uh, we had rented a dark room, and so I would just process the film on the spot. And uh, so Elmer Kappel, a long time uh, freelance photographer of ours, uh, knew this guy in, in Louisville, Kentucky, that worked at a at a lab and uh, wanted to come down and just help us out. So they had driven all night long, and Tim shows up at the track after they had been up all night. His hair is a mess. His horse is, <laughs> his voice is extremely hoarse. Yeah. And they introduced me to him, and then they left. Was that in his mullet days? Yeah. Oh, big time. Uh, mullet, spiky hair, um, <laughs> you know, but it was all over the place. No, I mean, we'll get to your hair in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they walked away, and I told Cindy, I was like, you know, that's okay. I don't need help. I'll be fine just the way I am. <laughs> but uh, turns out Tim come to work for us, and we became the best of friends. And uh, and at that time, we were just on top of our game. And, you know, it was almost like a, a Jeff Gordon, Ray Everham thing. We just clicked so well together. Um, what he couldn't do, I could do, and vice versa. And, and um, it was just a magical time for about eight years there. Um and yeah, I missed that guy. He passed away in 2010, I believe it was. Um, I do a little bit of racing on the side, and I had won a race up at uh, Indianapolis Raceway Park uh, just a few months before he passed away, and got to give him the trophy. And, Did you really? And um, that's cool. It was a big deal. He he helped me out a lot, and prior to that, with my car before he got sick. So to be able to give him that trophy before he passed was was pretty cool. Now I got to set the stage for our listeners. You pick any rock band from probably the early 70s now you weren't a big hair kind of guy but back in the day you had the all-time greatest rock star hair i mean it was down you know down your back a little bit and man i thought jim flew hardy was truly a rock star (laughs) now where did that come from well i'm a I love 80s bands, uh, hair bands. Uh, you know, I'm a huge fan of Kiss and Motley Crue. And, uh, you know, I mean, that was just the times, you know. Um, and it, it seemed to be a trend with a lot of the photographers. We all were known as the long hairs. And, uh, you know, I, I miss those days. You know, to have a little bit of attitude, a little bit of something different. Um, it was a fun time. And, uh, you know, looking back on it, it's kind of shocking for people to see me now versus then but <laughs> for a, a bunch of years after i cut my hair there would be crew members and other guys in the sport and they were like i know you you used to have long hair <laughs> <laughs> it took them a while to get used to me when i got my hair cut but those were good times chad fletcher chad you were my wingman for I don't know how many races that we did, Bush Series, Cup, I don't know. But it always seemed like we would wind up at the same places. And you were the assistant photo editor, I guess was your title, at scene. And my most vivid memory of you is the very first Gateway race. And that was the one race where I kind of sort of halfway almost felt guilty for being in the air-conditioned press box and you down there on pit road. And I just remember those conditions just being so miserable. 
Yeah, you were right. We were always the A-B team. <laughs> we were the A-class B team all the time, but we yeah. always traveled together, like you said, covering the Bush Series mainly or the Truck Series. Um, when a lot of the guys, would, when we'd have duplicate events, we would go off and do all the other standalone races together, which was a lot more fun, I thought. Absolutely. Because we got to go yes, to sir. a lot of the tracks yeah. that people never got to go see. We got to go to Nashville together. We got to go to Memphis. We got to go to Gateway. Got to go to Nazareth. A lot of fun places that folks just never got the chance to see, but you heard a lot about how historical those races were in Milwaukee. You know, just some great cities to go to and some fun places to experience. So it was always fun traveling together. And like you said, Gateway, I remember going to that, that first, first event race. was yeah. miserable. It was worse than Talladega in the middle of July. When and that's saying something. And that's that saying is, a lot. Yeah, that's absolutely yeah, saying something. When Phil and I used to have to do pit road, at Talladega, we thought we were dying there, but then you and I went to Gateway and we learned what it was really about being in the heat that day. I remember. Didn't you get sick? I, I didn't get sick, but I was almost sick. I, yeah. Literally, there were crew members fainting on pit road. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, the track had gone out to the local um, farm supply store and bought huge um, muck buckets that you clean <laughs> out horse stalls with. Yeah these probably 50 gallon muck buckets and filled them with ice water and they put one in every pit stall all the way down pit road and the crew and i've got photos still somewhere in the archives of the crew guys just dunking their heads in these buckets all day long to try to stay cool and not pass out they had water fittings or you know water faucets down the backside of pit road and anybody that had a water hose the crew guys were standing there with the water hoses just down their uniforms, just letting the water run completely through their uniforms to try to stay cool. I remember um, Glenn Allen passed yeah. out yeah. during that race. Yeah. He was trying to make it down pit road and completely passed out from heat exhaustion in the car and was bouncing off a pit wall trying to get to his pit stall. And I was trying to lean over the wall to photograph him as he bounced down the wall trying to get out of the car. And I think there was even... Unfortunately, I think there was even a spectator that actually passed away from heat exhaustion in the grandstands that weekend. It was so miserably hot. But but I remember that being so hot. Even Memphis, when we used to go do the Memphis race, was extremely hot, you know, at certain times of the year as well. But, yeah, Gateway was always, like you said, it was a a high mark as far as the memory goes. And that, that first event, thank goodness it wasn't like that after that anymore they moved the date and it was a little bit better but geez yeah you were right (laughs) (laughs) every photographer has a shot that they're pretty proud of what's that shot for you i would think just because it's the one that i won the most accolades from would have to be my shot of uh, Ted Musgrave at Martinsville when he backed the Family Channel car in the wall on the backstretch. He got turned coming off a of turn two and just completely backed the car. And that was before they refigured the track when there was still a um, backstretch pit road. Yeah. So I was standing on the backstretch pit wall shooting the backstretch as the cars went by. And Ted just got completely turned. I forget who turned him, but he just backed the car completely right into the wall. The wall exploded. Concrete was flying everywhere. Parts of the car were flying everywhere. And that was the shot that enabled me to to win the um, NMPA Photographer of the Year Award in 99. And also I won the North Carolina Press Association Photographer, Sports Photographer of the Year Award with that photo as well. So as far as a standout photo, that would have to be the one that was most rewarded I think that I I took but I think just in general the photos that I took of um, just personalities 
I, I think were more gratifying for me. I, I enjoyed the study of the the human character with a lot of the drivers because really? they were so okay. animated. Yeah, I spent a lot of time trying to get that perfect shot of a guy's intensity on his face you know guys who had a, a really good look like you know Earnhardt was always great to give you really good looks you know a lot of times he was messing with you and he'd give you a big snarl or something you know but it would come across in the photo that it was you know a real intense look and he was just playing with you but I, I know one shot that stood out was when Ernie Irvin came back after his really bad crash at Michigan his first race back he was at Charlotte Motor Speedway and, and um, he was in the car he still had his eye patch on and he, had, he was one of the first drivers that I had seen drive with a rearview mirror mounted on the side of the car. So he had like a, a left side driver's side mirror, but it was mounted up on the roll bar. And, and I remember taking a couple of really cool shots of him just you know, looking through the mirror back at him sitting in the car. And, and he's staring out the windshield, contemplating, you know, what was going to happen during qualifying that day. And he has his eye patch on, you know, and it's just that one eye, but it had so much intensity. So that was, you know, something else that stood out, I guess, that, you know, as one of my great personality shots that I took away. Now, when I talked to Brian Hallman earlier, I told him about the best scene cover ever contest that we're kind of doing on Twitter. But one of my favorite covers that we ever had was one that you shot the day that we spent at North Wilkesboro when we went around and talking to people about the Winston Cup circuit leaving, and it had snowed. And so you took a shot of the grandstands, empty grandstands, with snow all over the place, kind of desolate, kind of a foreshadow to what is happening now. Do you even remember that at all? I, I vaguely remember that. Really? I yeah. do, but... Again, it was one of those surreal moments that you were looking into the future, and and it was like you know contemplating what was going to happen and what was coming, and uh, and the snow really added to the the whole body of the photo because it told the story of you know what was going to happen. It was going to turn into a cold, desolate place, and and really that was kind of foreboding uh, of what actually happened. So yeah, I I agree with you. I enjoyed that photo. It's probably not one of my favorite all-time photos because I think a lot of other photographers out there were more deserving of you know some of the the action shots that were taken um, along the way that would probably be more strong than than that. But yeah, that I like that photo too. Hello, I'm Terry Labonte, and you're listening to the Scene Vault Podcast. Listeners, probably my favorite thing about the Winston Cup Scene Reunion is the passion that we all still have for the job that we did at Winston Cup Scene all those years ago. It was a mountaintop experience. We had so much fun doing a job that was at times fun and also at times very serious. But it's also a reminder of just how important it is that this archive be preserved because it would be an absolute shame for it to be lost. Hopefully, if nothing else, it comes through loud and clear in this podcast, the passion that we had for covering NASCAR for all those years. So I will say this, if you can possibly, possibly help support this podcast, it would go a long way in helping preserve NASCAR history. I don't care if it's a dollar a month on Patreon, that would help. It would be a sign that 
somebody out there agrees with us that NASCAR history has to be preserved. A dollar a month, $5 a month, $10 a month, that doesn't matter. What does matter is that this history is not lost. So, patreon.com slash the scene vault podcast, or on PayPal, if you'd rather not do a monthly commitment, a one-time show of support would be absolutely great as well. Again, the amount doesn't matter. 10 bucks, 25 bucks, 100 bucks, whatever. Doesn't matter. So, that address is paypal.me slash the scene vault podcast. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.